The Big Money Music Hour is presented by the Bluff Top at Rochport, a trailside vineyard retreat and home of Les Bourgeois Vineyards. The Bluff Top at Rochport is a destination where you'll find a winery, a restaurant, a wine garden, and three guest houses available for rent. For more information, visit MissouriWine.com. Playing what's relevant music from the country of the Midwest and beyond, you're listening to the Big Muddy Music Hour, presented by the Bluff Top at Rochport. I'm your host, Colin Lavote, the shameless voice, and this week my guest is none other than Les Claypool of Primus. Had a great chat with him. I've always been a huge admirer of both he and Primus. But before we get to that, how you doing? How you been? This, you know, um, we. We've been airing reruns for uh, a few months now. I took a, a longer hiatus than I, I have since ever starting, having started this show. And it was it was good for me. I've been working on a film, actually, a, a feature-length documentary uh, called Hero that I've been knee-deep in in trying to finish the editing process on. We're we're pretty far along, still have a ways to go, but it's it's been it's been good. It's and I hope you've been well. The Omicron variant has seemed to have uh, lapped its last wave upon our mid-Missouri shore. I'm seeing more faces out in public as opposed to masks than in a very long time. It almost feels like uh, some semblance of normalcy again, and it feels good. It feels feels good to be out there in the world and experiencing life again as it once was. And, you know, this, uh, it, it's been a part of the reason why it's taken me a moment to, to come back to the microphone and kick off season three. This is our third season, 74th episode. Is that, I, you know, I, I really wanted to take some time to think about what is the future of the big muddy music hour. And, you know, I've always had lofty goals and we've, we've done some really amazing things in 73 episodes. We've, uh, shared a lot of Midwestern music while also having some fantastic guests such as Phoebe Bridgers or Ben Folds, Nick Hexum from 311, Patrick Wilson from Weezer, Lucy Dacus, you name it. We've had just an immense amount of local and national talent on the show and I'm really proud of what we've done what what we've done thus far. But I, I'm I'm always looking to the future and I I still have some pretty big goals in mind for where this whole thing can go. And I'm just trying to look at things and reassess how can we really improve upon what we've been doing here at the Big Muddy Music Hour and offer something new and something fresh. And so with that, I have decided to launch a new blog. And so it's, it's called The Big Muddy Blog. And you can go to BigMuddyMusicHour.com right now to check it out, our first Blog post is up. It is about uh, Tools, Fear, and Oculum Tour, which just came through St. Louis last Friday as I record this. And crazily enough, we, we've been reaching out to Tool for a minute. I've been trying to get Maynard or anyone from Tool on the show, and their publicist has been very kind, and they actually reached out to us to see if we want press passes to the show. Me being a huge, huge Tool fan. Honestly, Tool is my, my favorite band of all time. I, I've seen them seven times prior to this moment. 
I was I was like, yeah, totally. Press passes, photo passes, nonetheless. I actually get to shoot shoot some pro photos of my favorite band, and it got me thinking. I'm going to be down there in the pit shooting one of the greatest rock bands of all time and trying to get some great photos. What? But for what? I mean, just for me to post on my my social media pages and and uh, you know, which is which is all fine and dandy, but it felt like kind of a waste, right? I mean, so I decided to go ahead and write a piece about Tool, which you can again check out at BigMuddyMusicHour.com. And it's it's kind of autobiographical, and I'm gonna gonna share a little bit of my anecdotes about Tool, and also my review of the concert here in this episode. But beyond this post, my hope is that uh, I want the Big Muddy blog to be a blog by musicians about music. So my hope is that we're going to get a great group of. Uh, musicians that that are are passionate about sharing their opinion and uh, you know it, and this is also kind of a call folks to anyone that uh, that's listening to me musicians uh, or you know you don't have to be a musician I guess but but the, I think that it would be interesting to have the perspective of musicians writing about uh, fresh shows or new albums and whether it's national or regional or local it, it doesn't matter. The Big Muddy blog is going to be an opportunity for you to get some fresh content. And, uh, you know, we're also going to be starting a newsletter soon. So I'm, I'm going to be talking about that in coming weeks. Uh, we're, we're taking it a, a step at a time, a day at a time. And, you know, eventually we're going to have a, the newsletter that's going to go out whenever there's a new blog posting and what have you. So, so keep, an, keep an eye out. Keep an ear out. Make sure you're, you're following our pages on social media, Big Muddy Music Hour on both Facebook and Instagram to get all the deets on that. But Tool, Enterprise Center, in St. Louis was a fantastic show as always. And before I get into how, how great the show actually was, I, I want to share this, this slight anecdote about uh, my one of uh, an experience that I will never forget, an encounter rather that I will never forget. It's rare for you to meet your heroes, but uh, you know, it's let alone in unlikely places. I actually met J- Maynard James Keenan, lead singer of uh, tool in the most unlikely of places. It was 2017. My wife and I knew that we would more than likely have to wait to get a table at a popular breakfast haunt on the west coast of Lake Michigan. And given the fact that we had a 10-month-old daughter in the tote, the prospect of any kind of wait seemed daunting. And all the same, my wife parked outside as I went to investigate the dining queue at, at this local popular breakfast spot. And I could see the restaurant was packed as soon as I walked in the rear entrance. I had to walk past a corridor full of tables on either side as I made my way. Uh, once arriving at the hostess table up front, I found it was it was a 30-minute wait, which was like a no-go for anyone that's had a toddler. <laughs> you know, you know that a 30-minute wait, let alone whatever time you're going to be spending in a restaurant. I mean, it, honestly, it was it was brave of us to even consider going out to get breakfast in this this instance with a toddler in tote. But as I walked out, I noticed this man sitting in a booth and, and and it was in my periphery at first but he caught my eye I take a step and I think to myself that guy looks like Maynard I take another step I raise my head slightly that guy really looks like Maynard then I take another step and we we meet eyes and it was Maynard 
<laughs> you know, I, I make eye contact with me, and his face immediately shifts to an expression that screams, shit, I've been made. Maynard James Keenan is one of the most elusive lead singers in the last quarter century. He's one of the world's biggest rock stars, and most folks wouldn't recognize him given the litany of wigs and outfits and makeup he adorns when he's fronting Tool, a perfect circle, or Pussifer. He figured he could walk around this quaint touristy Michigan town without being recognized, but he knew his cover was blown whenever he met Eyes With Me, because at that time I was wearing a rock band t-shirt, I had this beard that grew four inches past my chin, coupled with a shaved bald head that fit the profile of someone that knew the true face of Maynard James Keenan. So I, this this shook me. I mean, I'm I'm shaking, I, I literally. I, I get out in the car and, and I'm, I have tears in my eyes, and Alicia's like, what is going on? I say... Alicia, I, I think Maynard's in, in the restaurant. And I said, there's there's a 30-minute wait, but I think we should go in. She's like, you think? And so we make our way in, and as we're walking in, there's a large group of people that are both going in and out of this single-pane door. And amongst the, uh, the chaos, Maynard, without his family, because he was made by, you know, <laughs> rock dude Colin, in the restaurant, he scurries through the crowd, and he, he's going down the alley, and I turn to Alicia, and I say, I, I, I got to go. And I, I, I jog down the alley after one of the biggest rock stars in the world, and I'm wearing flip-flops. It's super awkward. It was so awkward. I, I had no, no real contemplation of, of what I was doing in that moment. But I, I holler out to him. I'll never forget how I said it. It was exactly like this. I go, excuse me. Sir, <laughs> and he he stops. He plants his feet and he uh, he pivots. And this is like all in slow motion for me. And it's in this moment that I remember that Maynard is a mixed martial artist. He trains with some of the most prominent mixed martial artists in the world, and he could probably kill me with his bare hands. And he he pivots around and he he's in it in a in a defensive stance and. I come to a screeching halt. I'm still like 10 feet away from him at this point, but I come to a halt and I, I put my hands in the air like I'm <laughs> like the a police officer is telling me to put him, put my hands in the sky. And I say, whoa, I really don't want to bother you. All I want to tell you is that your music changed my life. And he relaxes and he sticks his hand out and he says, thank you. I shake his hand and he turns and walks away. <laughs> And it's just one of those things. Like I said, I've you know I've I've talked with plenty of rock stars and celebrities, and uh, you know I've hung on Willie Nelson's bus. I've partied with Chino from Deftones. Um, I've never fanboyed out quite like that before. Uh, but you have to understand the indelible mark that Tool has had in my life. I mean, they have been just a huge part of who I am. And like I said, I've seen them seven times. And I can remember details from every single show. And so whenever their publicist reached out to Big Muddy Music Hour and offered us press passes, it was it was just kind of like a dream come true. And I, I covered uh, the show, which was uh, honestly, they were in, in rare form. They're all, it's always a great show. But in particular, uh, Maynard's vocals that night were just something to be uh, something to be reckoned with, man. As as a vocalist going out on the road and playing countless states, especially with hard music, it's difficult to maintain uh, a, a, a voice, your voice, basically. And I've seen some 
some iterations of Tool where Maynard wasn't in top form, but man, he they they did, pulled out "Push It," which is off of Enema, and has some of the most beautiful vocalizations of in the entire Tool catalog. And his whenever he, his voice soars, it just cuts through everything in the same way that it did whenever they played "The Patient." And he, uh, I've seen them play "The Patient" many times, but he let the the scream that's like a thirty second scream out uh and it just i swear it just tore through the pavement and the the just beyond the enterprise center <laughs> that night and so it was a fabulous show if you've never seen tool even if you're not a fan or you don't think you're a fan it's a visual spectacle to behold and the tribalistic polyrhythms that you find in danny carey's drummings right down to the uh hot dad vibes that <laughs> as as referred to by by alicia at the show uh referring to the uh, quintessential bass player Justin Chancellor throwing down uh, to the absolute guitar god work of Adam Jones it it's just it's a it's a sight and a sound to behold playing what's relevant music from the country of the Midwest and beyond you're listening to the big muddy music hour presented by the bluff top at Roachport and while I'm mentioning the bluff top at Roachport you may uh, for years the first two seasons uh, we've been sponsored by Les Bourgeois, and, and to a certain extent, Les Bourgeois is still the sponsor. However, uh, they've gone through a bit of a rebrand, and they are still continuing to support the show as our title sponsor. But they, they've gone through this rebrand as the Bluff Top at Roachport. What does that mean? The, the real reason is that they offer so much more than what... They offer as a winery, and there are a litany of different destinations that are there in Roachport. So I recommend taking a moment, go to MissouriWine.com and checking out how things have kind of changed because they have multiple different event spaces, uh, different uh, B&B options almost, and a, a lot of uh, options available for being able to enjoy what has is by many accounts considered to be one of the most beautiful stretches of the Katy Trail in the entire state of Missouri. So I want to give a lot of love <clears throat> and big thanks to the Bluff Top at Roachport uh, Trailside Vineyard Retreat for being the title sponsor of the Big Muddy Music Hour, presenting what's relevant music from the country of the Midwest and beyond. The Big Muddy Music Hour is presented by Les Bourgeois Vineyards, located in Roachport, Missouri. Les Bourgeois has been mid-Missouri's winery for more than three decades, with over 20 different wines ranging in style and sweetness. Les Bourgeois wines are available at your local retailer, their tasting room, or shop online at MissouriWine.com. The Big Muddy Music Hour is also supported by Ozark Mountain Biscuit Company, announcing the opening of their new brick-and-mortar restaurant, Ozark Mountain Biscuit and Bar, located right across the street from Logboat Brewing Company, featuring a full menu for breakfast, lunch, dinner, a cocktail bar, espresso bar, with to-go sandwiches, and an outdoor patio. Ozark Mountain Biscuit and Bar, opening summer 2021. The Big Muddy Music Hour is also brought to you by Amber House Bed and Breakfast. Located in historic Roachport, Missouri, this full-service inn offers lodging and dinner service open to the public with locally sourced ingredients, a rotating wine list, and an in-house masseuse. For more information, visit amberhousebb.com. 
The Big Muddy Music Hour is also supported by Cooper's Landing. Cooper's Landing is a full-service marina that's home to food trucks, a campground, and a live music venue on the banks of the Missouri River just off the Katy Trail. For more information, visit cooperslandingmo.com. The Dive Bar is an official underwriter of the Big Muddy Music Hour, located on the Business Loop in Columbia. With evenings of great live music, the Dive Bar also offers lunch, dinner, and a weekend brunch, as well as a craft cocktail menu. More information can be found at divebarcomo.com. Playing what's relevant music from the country of the Midwest and beyond, you're listening to the Big Muddy Music Hour, presented by the Bluff Top at Roachport. My guest this week really needs no introduction. He's my favorite bass player of all time. He's your favorite bass player of all time. He's a virtuoso and the front man and brains behind the epically, sonically amazing Primus. I have Les Claypool on the show this week. Thank you so much for joining us. Holy moly, what an intro. <laughs> I didn't even write that one down. That just it just came out of my mouth, right. man. I, I, have a little, I have a lot of reverence for you, but I always kick things off with uh, the same question for everybody. It doesn't matter what musician I'm talking to, because what always interests me is what inspires people to become a musician to begin with. What started you off on your musical journey? Was it something about your, your home life, your family life that led you to want to perform for people? I wanted girls to pay more attention to me. <laughs> <laughs> that is the, the shortest and possibly most oddest response. That's why we do everything. What the hell are you talking about? <laughs> No, uh, I mean, I, there, there's, there's more than that. I mean, when did you pick up an instrument? Was it always bass first? Was that always your, your first love? Yeah. You know, look, I... I I had this kid in my algebra class who had, you know, had these big, thick, thick pop bottle glasses and long hair and a dirty white T-shirt all the time. He sat behind me in Mr. Kelly's algebra class and he'd always show me these guitar magazines. Hey, Claypool. Hey, man, that's the guitar I want right there. And he'd show me this picture of the Stratocaster. That's the guitar I'm getting, man. That's it right there. I'm getting that one. Hey, man, I know all the key elements, sex and drugs and rock and roll, man. And his name's Kirk Hammett. So um, uh, he, I would come into class and I'd be like, just kind of singing, you know, uh, Aerosmith songs and Zeppelin songs and tried to sing Rush songs, but they were so high up there. And he was like, hey man, you gotta come audition for my band, man, be the singer. And I was too scared. I didn't have the nerve to, to, to sing. So I met this other dude that needed a bass player. And I had this, met this guy that had a bass for $15, some pieces. Oh, it was $30 or some piece of shit. And I had 15 and I went to my dad and I said, Hey dad, I got $15 and this bass is $30. Can I, I really want to play bass and I want to be in this band and blah, 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 blah. And he said, well, son, you know, if this is something you're really into and we had no money because we're all, you know, auto mechanics. So, so this was a big deal. He says, if you're really into this, we'll go down and see Al at Al's music. He's my friend. And we're, do this right. So we went down, we bought a $150 um, Memphis P based copy and he loaned me the money and I pulled weeds all summer to pay, pay for this thing. And I was instantly in a band because nobody wanted to play bass. Everybody wanted to be Eddie Van Halen. So I was 
instantly in this in in this other band, not Kirk Hammett's band. So, so how old were it all came together? How old were you whenever this was going down? Uh, I was about fourteen. Fourteen. So what was what was some of the were some of those first like high school bands? Do you remember some of the, some of the names of those acts? Well, or Kirk's what, band. What you played? Well, Kirk's band was Exodus. That was that's when he started Exodus. Um, but uh, and dear listener, when he he refers to Kirk Hammett, in case you don't know, Kirk Hammett's the lead guitarist for Metallica. I thought it was Aerosmith. <laughs> um, oh yeah, no, no, that, that's right, that's right. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, I, I mean, the band I I played in was called Blind Illusion. That was the band I was I played in. So. Um, uh, yeah, but I uh, I don't remember any of the other names of the bands because uh, I just don't remember. <laughs> well, you've had a lot has happened since then. I mean, as far as my bands, it was tons of them. I was, you know, I was in a band. That band, I was in a band called Star, Sax, Trumpet, and Rhythm. That's when I was when I was getting into a lot of funk and soul. And then there was the Tommy Crank Band and uh, the XLs and. Uh, uh, God, what the hell was that other band? Manx. I was in this new wave band called Manx with these women front people. But, uh, you know, back in the day, you just played a lot. So I'm sure you get asked this question all the time, and I've never I, I've never heard the story firsthand, but it's always just a matter of lore, and I don't think I would have brought it up if it hadn't been for the fact that I didn't realize that you grew up with Kirk Hammett. But I always heard that there was a point in which Metallica auditioned you to be their bass player. Is that, is that right? Yes. So what, what was that? What was that whole situation? I did not like? get the gig. I don't know if you noticed. <laughs> was it, was it like early on before they were really starting to like before? Well, it, was when, and all it, that, was that, it was when Cliff died. I remember we were having, oh. a, I had met Cliff right before he passed before he died. And then, we had done a show with Faith No More in, in San Francisco and I met him. He's a very nice guy and he was very complimentary of, 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 of my bass playing. And I knew of him just because of this band that Kirk was in that I didn't really know much about, um, but I knew that they were gaining popularity. And so then I got the call from Kirk, hey, you know, uh, you know and he was a mess. You know, they were all a mess. I didn't really know them, but I knew Kirk. And I went and did the audition. And to be honest with you, I didn't realize how big they were, you know, and I did the audition and I didn't get the gig, but I was really hoping because I wanted to quit my carpentry job because they were going to Japan. I wanted to go to Japan. <laughs> well, things seem to have worked out in the long run. So tell, tell me how Primus came about in, in the early days, because, um, you know, you were a soundtrack to my adolescence, you know, I growing up in the '90s in particular, I mean, Primus was just one of those those acts that was always playing on on the old rock station we used to have here in Columbia, independent rock station called 98.3 The Buzz, and uh, you know, you're uh, again, you know, a soundtrack to my adolescence. But I, I know nothing about the early days of Primus. So how how did it all form? Gotta read the book, bro. <laughs> What, all right, well, what's what's the book? Go ahead and go ahead and plug it for me. I'll, I, well, I will go out, out and buy it's it. It's been out for years. There's a book with, uh, you know, it's the tale of, of the three lads. But um, I'll give the give the good listeners a, a, a reader's digest of the early days. Well, basically, I was in this band called the Tommy Crank Band, which was uh, I was the youngest guy in the band by like, you know, 10 to 20 years. It was a, it was a, it was basically like the Blues Brothers, but it was all 
old rhythm and blues, you know, Booker T and the MGs, James Brown, Sam and Dave, on and on, the meters. And um, uh, we were playing basically Hell's Angels bars up and down the Northern California. And uh, I would play three to five nights a week, four sets a night. And it was like, you know, this is great. And it was great for me. It's, it really made me evolve as a musician. But I wanted to do, I was into like old Peter Gabriel and old public image and Fred Frith and all these different things that were way more eclectic. And I wanted to start my own band. So I started recording on a full four track with a Lindrum machine. I recorded too many puppies and a few other songs onto a little four track. And then I got a phone call from this guy I went to high school with said, Hey, you know, I hear you're looking for a guitar player. And I thought, Oh, this guy's not going to be the guy he's into. He's like, like he plays like Tony Iommi. I want someone who plays like Adrian blue. And sure enough, he kind of did play like it. He was, you know, with Todd Huth, who's very angular. So that was primate. He and I, and then my old drummer from high school, Perm Parker, who just got out of the military. We recorded our first demo and we got some airplay on the local radio station. And next thing you know, as primate, next thing you know, get a phone call from this attorney saying hey you can't we i represent the band called the primates you need to change your name and so we changed it to primus and you know it just went on and on and then eventually larry lalon joined because todd left and after eight different drummers we found tim alexander who is just an absolute beast he's an absolute phenom i was actually he's a beast in many ways <laughs> yeah i'm sure i'm sure personally and professionally he's a beast I, actually I was... personally he's a very mellow soft-spoken person so well um when he unleashes the inner beast as i like to like to call that that little bit of our persona whenever we 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 get on stage he's just an absolute phenom i was at uh rehearsal the other night with my guys and uh my drummer zach and i talked at length about how uh, how fabulous tim is and i i mean it's it's just it, it's it's such a joy that he ended up coming back to the act to, to Primus and you all all reunited. You played a, a Summerfest show here a few years back, where it was, a, it was a, out on Ninth Street, and, and that was the first time I had seen Primus, you know, in in its I guess traditional lineup, and it was it was just a really a sight to behold. And uh, you have some dates coming up that we're definitely going to touch on and talk about. One of the questions I had for you was, you know, whenever you were kind of in your heyday it was during the 90s and obviously it's a different time uh you know mosh pits aren't really a thing but you know like there's mosh pits Lollapalooza was a touring festival which you all participate in I can only imagine that given the fact that you were there for a period that by today's standards might have been pretty raucous and archaic in terms of what was happening behind the scenes uh, by now you've played thousands of performances but I have to wonder if there's any moments from that era that stick out in your mind as particularly memorable maybe it's maybe it's a show itself or an interaction or a collaboration that happened on stage that was you know once in a lifetime and uh, you know I'm, I'm just curious if there's there throughout the whole you know, history of of what you've done if there's there's some moments that, that stick out in your mind and you're like man that was awesome still to this day <laughs> well i mean there's so many and um because i know my son right uh, today is going to interview norwood norwood fisher from fishbone about some of the early days because they were we were all really tight and did a few tours together and they were on Lollapalooza in 93 i do remember uh the I think it was the very last show, but it was at Irvine Irvine Meadows down in um, in uh, you know Southern California, 
we were at Lollapalooza and we had had a, a pretty spectacular day because it was the last show and we're all clowning each other and you know Alice in Chains played and during the rooster I came out on stage in a chicken suit and they were throwing <laughs> eggs at me and so I come off the stage and you know I run into Timothy Leary who we had met earlier that day and he was all freaked out because this guy in a chicken suit was coming after him and so um but the 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 the, the you know the, the the cherry on the cupcake was you know Norwood uh, a, a tad inebriated and his and his tad inebriated uh, girlfriend came out on stage during our set and she pulled down his pants and he had a full erection and it was a mighty sight to see <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, that stands out in my mind but... yeah I, I would imagine that it would uh, I love every every aspect of that story <laughs> Thanks for sharing that anecdote. It's hilarious. Oh man! So you're a big fisherman. You love to fish, as as I well know. But maybe the good listeners of the Big Money Music Hour might not be aware. Where where did that start? What what where did the seed of your uh, love for fishing come from? Well, uh, like I said, I come from a long line of auto mechanics. Um, uh, but my my dad had a boat, my uncles had boats, my grandfather had a boat. And so my dad wasn't the type of guy that, you know, took me to baseball games or football games. That wasn't his thing. So on weekends, if we weren't, if, if we weren't, if I wasn't digging post holes for my grandmother's, one of her crappy rental properties some, somewhere or helping him build a deck, we would be out fishing. So that's what we did. And so it's just something I've always done. It's like guys that you know, like Brad, whose name is down here below, he's a big sports guy. He knows every draft pick, every angle, every dangle. I don't know. I don't give a shit. That's not my thing. Um, so he takes his kids to, to sporting events. I took my kids fishing. Of course, they didn't stick to it quite as, as much as I did, but um, because that's what was what I did with my with my dad, my uncles, and my grandfather. Well, it sounds like your kids have stuck with the creative aspect of what they they were brought up in so and with your son making the film well let me wrap up to, uh, plugging your shows uh you're going on tour an extensive tour which has uh was in the works pre-covid i believe and then postponed until now uh primus is going out on a very extensive tour covering rushes of farewell to kings are going to be appearing on april 19th at the Gileads in Springfield, Missouri, and April 20th at Grinders in Kansas City. Uh, I know you're a big Rush fan. I know they're a huge influence for you, but why a farewell to Kings? Well, I mean, we always had joked that, oh, let's go out, on, let's go out and play Hemispheres in its entirety. Oh, ha, ha, ha. It was a big joke. And then one day we said, well, why don't we do that? And then we thought, well, you can't play Cygnus 2 before you play Cygnus 1. And and, you know, uh, picking a Rush album, it was like 2112, just seemed a little too obvious. Uh, Farewell to Kings was the first Rush album I ever heard as a kid. And Cygnus is one of my favorite Rush songs of all time. So it just made sense. And it was before we got too far into the keyboard land, because I'm not a keyboard player. You know, I do play keys on all this, but, you know, my keyboard is covered with a bunch of different colored tapes, so I know where to hell to stick my fingers. But, um, and it's worked out well. It's been, it's, it's very enjoyable and um, somewhat therapeutic thing to play every night. I, I very much enjoy playing it. 
Well, I'm sure your fans and Rush fans alike are going to be thrilled to see this act out on the road. I hope to make the Springfield or the Kansas City show. And I know you're probably uh, have a lot of these interviews today, so I'm going to go ahead and let you go. But Les Claypool, it has been an absolute pleasure and an honor to have been able to share a few minutes with you, brother. I really appreciate your time. Fantastic. Thanks for the good chat. Yeah, have a good one. All right. Adios.
That was new music from Downside Up. That song is called Disco Diva. Downside Up is no stranger to the Big Muddy Music Hour. I've been playing them for years. Those cats are great, great musicians, great songwriters, and they've had some great help by way of uh, their recording artist and producer, Mr. Jack Gu of Dead Bed Bad. Uh, they're all Jeff City cats, and that song in particular, Disco Diva, I remember whenever they first played it, it was at the last show that, or at least the first time I heard the song, it was at the last show that uh, I played before things really shut down. It was the last live musical musical performance for Decadent Nation in 2020. I think it was like late February or early March or something like that. And whenever they played that song, I, I, I went up to them after their set and I said, guys, that is so good. It's just such a great song. And I'm so happy that they continue to put out music. I believe that they're working on some shows coming up and I, uh, I'm hoping to share the stage with them sooner than later. We've been talking about it. So uh, keep an eye out. Speaking of shows, I am actually going to be performing with Decadent Nation at Rose Music Hall. It's our first show back to Rose Music Hall since the pandemic, basically. That show I was mentioning earlier in which we played with Downside Up was the last time that we played there. And we're going to be sharing the stage with the Flood Brothers, with Gabe Meyer and the Flood Brothers. It's just the two of us. Uh, th- these Those two bands were going to be up there and throwing down some epic sets. We're going to be throwing down a 90-minute set. I believe that Gabe is <laughs> and the boys are going to be throwing down an even longer set. And I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I cannot wait to get back at the Rose Music Hall um, stage again. And it's going to be April 8th, so it's coming right up, and I hope to see you there. But with that, folks, I'm completely out of time. I want to thank you for tuning in. I want to thank Les Claypool for being my guest this week. And on behalf of everyone at KBIA and LV Creative, this is Colin Lavote, the Shameless Voice, signing off. <laughs>